I just failed at it over and over for like months actually. And then one day it just clicks. One day you're just doing it. Literally the day before you're like, I'm crashing, I can't do this. And the next day you're just like, did I just do this? What happened between yesterday and today? And it's always like that. You're just gonna suck until you don't. Hey, I'm Carrie. And I'm Lauren. And welcome to How'd You Learn To, the podcast dedicated to understanding the learning journey from a personal perspective. As lifelong learners who work in learning and development, we want to know more about the highs and lows of developing a new skill and the personal growth that comes along with it. Our talented friends will share their learning stories with us right here on this podcast. From that initial spark of a new interest to the aha moments when things finally click into place. We hope this podcast encourages you to take a risk, learn something new, and embrace the journey of lifelong learning. Welcome to another episode of How'd You Learn To? We're excited to welcome our next guest, Brandon Grant, who is a Toronto-based breakdancer with over 20 years of experience. He's super passionate about dancing, and it's taken him on the road for competitions throughout Canada and the U.S. Brandon's also had some notable gigs dancing for the Blue Jays and the Family Channel. Brandon, welcome to the pod. Hello, hello, hello. I'd love to start by just asking... What got you into breakdancing? What was the spark? Okay, so I started dancing when I was 16. And what was the spark? Like all young fellows growing up, you're just interested in being like a superhero. And breakdancing is like the closest thing to being a superhero. Jumping and flipping and spinning and looking super cool. Why wouldn't you want to breakdance? That's... That's the real truth. My answer to that is I was 6'4 and very uncoordinated. I, I don't know how that would have worked out for me. Like, did you have a background in gymnastics? Was there any sort of base of understanding you were working from here? Or was this just a thing of, I'm going to throw myself into this completely new world? I've always just wanted to just do these sorts of things. And I think that if I just give you like the real, like the true backstory, the year before I started breakdancing, for some reason, I was just like bent on learning how to do like a back handspring for some reason. I was like bent on doing it. I was 15 and I just really wanted to. And I spent a good part of my summer just learning how to do it in my basement with the couch cushions out. And then I was like, I can do this. Breakdancing was making its resurgence. Okay, so just to give like listeners the time scope here, but to date myself wildly here. Skincare is important is what I'll say first. Uh, <laughs> Always wear sunscreen. Yeah, sunscreen. Yes. <laughs> so important. So this would have been like 1998. Breakdancing was just making it sort of like resurgence in the media. And I think that's what's like inspired me. So I was starting to see it in a ton of music videos. And so of course, in the music videos, you're seeing these like snippets, these small pieces of it. So you're mm -hmm. just seeing these like edits of these dancers doing these flashy things. And that's in your mind what breakdancing becomes is these things that you're seeing as opposed to the whole culture that surrounds it. But yeah, that's mm -hmm. where I started. And I was like, okay, I could do this back handspring. I see that that guy spinning on his back. That seems really cool. Let me learn about what this move is. And I'm going to learn how to do that one move. And that's the thing that started it off. It's interesting to hear this because I imagine you were a bit younger. Maybe it's like a hobby or like a thing you did to just have fun, learn this new thing, but you've done it for over 20 years. And I'm wondering, as you develop the skill at a younger age, was there something that made you realize, oh, this is something that's going to stick. This is going to be something I do for the long term. I think the sticking component of it was I think the surrounding cultural elements of breaking. Dancing itself is just fun. Once you actually learn how to do something, and that's its own challenge, like learning how to do something that's difficult that someone else can't teach you, where you don't have an instructor for, once you learn it, it just is fun to do. And you just love doing the thing that other people can't do because it makes you special. I think the thing that's kept me dancing is the culture that surrounds breaking. And there's a bunch of different sort of like tenants and things that, that surround breaking that make it really important. Why do I keep doing it? One, it's, okay, it's fun. Two, it's 
at this point in my life, I need exercise. <laughs> so, <laughs> and don't we all? So it's great exercise. Because I've been doing it, it's just really hard to give up. Actually, it's quite addicting. And the expression itself is, is very exciting. Whether you're competing or whether you're at an event or whether you're someplace with other dancers and the music is going and you're having a chance to express yourself, it really is hard to not want to do. Mm. Even if I'm in my apartment by myself and there's a song that comes on and I really like the song, I might find myself moving in a particular way. It's hard to just stop. I'm currently injured right now. It's the only reason I've actually stopped. I had an injury early last year and so I'm in the midst of recovery. That's the only thing that's actually like stopped me from dancing. I just wanted to double click on something you mentioned, which is the fact that you got more into it as you became more a part of this community. And I'm curious about what it was like developing this skill almost in a vacuum. I assume you were doing this on your own when you were younger, you were building up this skill and maybe you didn't have anyone to like give you feedback or give you pointers on how to better execute a certain dance move. When you started becoming part of a community, how did that shift and change for you? And did you feel more competitive? Was it a challenge to sort of learn in that different space? Okay, so you're right. Like when I first started learning, like I didn't know anybody, like I didn't know anyone else who was doing this. And I like seemingly cool person in my high school was the only person doing it. I was connected with some other folks who were dancing. Actually, I started teaching some other folks the moves that I knew because I thought it was all that. When you're 17 and you think you're the best break dancer in your school, you think you're something special. So I started teaching some other folks and they knew some other folks who were dancing. And they were like, well, you should meet these folks. They were like, can we invite them by the high school? It was a very like break dancer thing to do, actually, which is like, oh, there's some people dancing. Let's go over there and see how good they are. What's interesting about that is it escalated my ability exponentially because what you're seeing now is other people trying the same things that you're trying and there's this comparison that happens. What can I do that you can't do? What can I pick up from you? What can I repeat and learn from you? There's a lot of just like in your early stages, just grabbing whatever new information you can. And then the other thing is that people in breakdancing culture, you have this phrase like no easy props. So there's no like easy compliments. So people will easily point out what you're doing wrong. Or if you are like copying somebody, there's a part of breaking that is personal. There's like a personality element. And if you are duplicating somebody's personal essence, somebody will be like, yo, you're biting. And that's the term they called it biting. And that was when you tried to like take a bite or a chunk from somebody else. So there was this sort of like community keeping you in check to make sure that your creativity wasn't forged or falsified. So you self-taught yourself into a community-centered practice. Uh, yeah, otherwise it dies. I probably would have been like, okay, I've reached my peak here because I've either done whatever I think I can do or I'm not getting the excitement that comes from the experience of dancing with other people. There's a certain rush, a certain charge that you get when you are dancing with others. There's another kind of charge you get when you're like competing or battling with other people or against other people. If I didn't have those moments, I don't know that I'd still be dancing. So the story I'm hearing so far is I taught myself a back handspring and that gave me the tools and the confidence to teach myself to break based on what I was seeing on music videos. And that gave me the confidence that I should be teaching others to do this. And then I meet these other people who have been doing it. Was that the first time you felt friction with the practice when you saw others doing it and you were like, oh, there's another level to this. So no, but I can tell you about a time when I did feel my first friction. So that grouping of people who I met were just maybe a step or two ahead of me in terms of dancing. Like I didn't feel so far away from them. And some things I was better at than them and, and they were better than me than some other things. So we weren't too far away. I think I had my first experience with this group. We went to a competition. At the time I was living like outside of Toronto, you know, I'm living with my parents, suburban, like Ajax or whatever. So this is where I'm, I'm living. 
and we went to our first competition in Toronto, like in the city. We're going to our first competition. Very cool. <laughs> so cool, you know? <laughs> and I got there and my most impressive move, it's a move called a windmill. And it's a very standard move that a lot of dancers can do. And so I'm thinking like, oh, I got my two or three moves. I'm the best. I show up to this thing and people are wild. Like they're crazy. Like I am too scared to get in to dance. And this is a competition. I'm not competing. I'm just there observing. So there's nothing at stake here except for my ego. This first competition, it was called Break and Enter. I was put on by an all-female dance group called Shebang Crew. I, I went to this event, scared out of my mind, seeing dancers who really were doing it. These are the dancers in the music videos I was watching. That's how good they were. They're competing and their confidence is at a level that is like dwarfing my own. And my confidence level is pretty high, or at the time was really high. And they have like completely <laughs> like, there's like a like a cosmic pressure in the room. Like, ooh. That's such a great phrase, a cosmic pressure. You know, like that. it's just crazy. Oh, I can't even move. That's what it felt like. And that was the first time I had been to an event and I was like, oh my God. And then I think I mustered up some energy and near the end of the event, <laughs> hop into a circle. It might've had two or three people left behind to dance. They weren't I got zero props because I was terrible. Right. Obviously not because people were doing moves that are at a way higher caliber. And it's, that's mm. a move that everyone can do there. Everyone's been through that struggle. Yeah, this is my coolest move. That's, I'm so them. curious about that because people are clearly so much better. How did you push past that? Did you find support in your own community better? Or was this like a personal... Um, uh, personal motive, how you, how you push past. So let's be clear. Like I'm 17, right? I'm 17 or 18 here, right? I'm not really thinking about that per se. I'm more just one. I'm enamored with what I'm seeing. That's where the pressure is coming from. Is I'm seeing this amazing thing, and mm. I'm used to seeing this sort of thing at this scale on videotape. And there's something very different about witnessing a spectacle in person versus videotape. And I feel like we experience that with bands a lot. Like maybe you hear a band recorded, or you see a band on YouTube, and then you go <laughs> watch the band, and you're like, holy crap they were incredible yep. so i was like enamored with what i was seeing again the pressure was really intense and i felt inspired after i left i was like i gotta practice harder they have shown me another level of this thing that i didn't know existed i thought i was like near the height of the game there for what i knew in my small town yeah. world and they expanded the view of what was possible and i was like oh man i gotta i suck so bad i gotta go home and practice i gotta go home and practice and come back and handle this you know what i mean that was the vibe I don't want to minimize that, though, because I've, I've got stories, and I'm sure there are lots of people who have stories in their own life where at that stage where, you know, 14, 15, 16, you have a lot of ego and it's spread so thin that it's fragile. A knock to that can actually demotivate you. It's like, I can't get there and I'm never going to get there. So I'm just going to go back to playing Super Nintendo or whatever it is. Right. But you, like that opposite happened for you where that actually lit a fire and said no i want to come back and be this as opposed to this is clearly not for me it just felt like opportunity to be honest i felt man i'm seeing more that i can do i'm being inspired by what i'm seeing not necessarily put down by what i'm seeing and none of it seemed impossible for me i was like i've only been dancing for this period of time some of these people have been dancing for 10 years of course i can just do whatever i want again when you're this age you're like of course i can do anything Obviously, you really have the growth mindset <laughs> I think young people have that. I think that's just a thing that teenagers have. I think if I'd started this journey very differently or later, I think it, my development would be very different. You know what, Brandon? I hate to disagree with our guests, but I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. I know people who made the other decision when they were 15 
and are like, oh, if only I had. Like Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite, I could throw a football over the mountains. I bet. You know what I mean? It's not something everybody has baked in. And I think that's a really inspirational part of your journey, especially if anybody who's listening, like you can say, no, I can do this and I'll only know if I try. I don't think that's everyone. I think that's something that's unique to a few people and specifically unique to you. So kudos for doing that. I'll take that. I'll also add, again, my ego was totally inflated. I was like, of course I can do this. <laughs> Because like so many people say comparison is the thief of joy, compare themselves to others and like, well, I guess I'm just not going to get there. But you were like, I'm going to get there. I'm just going to work harder. And you did. I'm curious if you go back to that journey, you think about what that was like for you. What was the challenge to push yourself forward? Like, did you meet any failure moments where you, you felt like you couldn't move forward? With complex movement, like complex, like dynamic spinning movement, it's actually the nature of the dance that, or it's been my experience that you just start working really hard at something and you just fail at it immediately. You fail at it time and time again. A lot of these complex movements, you can't actually get. Nobody gets them on the first try. But when it happens for somebody, you're just mad about it because it's very rare that happens. A friend of mine, he's that person where sometimes on the second try, he can just do mm -hmm. something wildly difficult. He can't Incredible. explain it. But like the nature of some of these movements and with me first learning how to do windmill, for instance, like I just failed at it over and over for like months, actually. And then one day it just clicks. One day you're just doing it. Literally the day before you're like, I'm crashing, I can't do this. And the next day you're just like, did I just do this? What happened between yesterday and today? And it's always like that. You're just gonna suck until you don't. It's not always this feeling of, oh, everything is just improving and I can just feel improvement along the way. It's just one day you can't and then the next day you can. And the only difference is that you just tried that day. We want the montage, right? We want the thing where it's like within three minutes, you, you go from, oh, I failed, oh, I'm good. Oh, I'm really good. No, I'm expert. You want that Rocky montage where you're all of a sudden at the end, you're yes. at the top of the staircase or whatever, feeling like a hero. You know what I mean? That you were challenged before. For me, dancing wasn't like that. Like you just literally failing like painfully. And not just like ego painfully, like physically painfully failing, bruises, like that sort of thing. So were your guideposts like moves from that point on, you're like learning more, you're like, okay, I need to just add this move, add this tool to the box. Or were there other sort of like goalposts that you set for yourself to say, yes, I learned this thing. Yes, I'm improving. Yes, I know. It was for me, it was about moves. It was like, okay, I need to learn how to do this move now. Or it would be a variation on a move. Okay, I have this move but I could spice this move up if I did it like the entry was different or if I did it in a particular way or if I changed the shape of the move or something like that. So there were these different variations. You have these goalposts and I learned later and I wouldn't say at the beginning, but I learned later that it's like a language essentially. So learning the moves is like nominal. It's like learning a very large word. <laughs> It's can you use that large word in a sentence that's powerful. It's the same thing with like words that are maybe not as impactful, but if you string together a bunch of words that are maybe easy to understand or very like normal, but if you do it in an impactful way, you're like, ah, okay, I'm with you. So you're saying I don't have to be lugubrious? That's correct. <laughs> that's accurate. That's fascinating to me, that idea of it being a language and not only learning the moves, but learning how to mm -hmm. use the moves and when to yeah. use the moves. At first I was on this like wild chase to learn as many moves as I could. And then I realized later as I was starting to develop and understand the differences. And again, the culture of the dance is personality is very important, like your personal representation of the dance, interpretation of the dance. You start to figure out it's more important for me to figure out what my movement is. And then I lay that on top of the foundational <laughs> movement and make my own phrasing and sentences mm. and things like that. I know as a drummer, 
the first thing every drummer wants to do is big loud fills. Ooh. How do I learn as many big loud fills as I can? I wonder if every learning journey has that piece where you're like, oh, I was chasing the pieces, but now I realize I need to like order the pieces in a certain way and really understand them. I don't know if all learning journeys are similar, but there is something to this quantity chase, right? Mm -hmm. Like this, oh, I want as much of something as I can or the most dynamic version of something mm -hmm. that I can have. And then it's, is that really the most impactful thing? If we're talking about music for a moment, it's almost like someone who can just shred on a guitar, like just like killing it. But have you ever felt really moved by a song that was really simple? I feel something. And then that person shredding it, that I can recognize, appreciate the technicality behind it, but it doesn't move me in the same way. Dancing can be that. There are people who are like wildly technical, who can do some mind-blowing things, things that we never thought the body could do. When I started dancing, we joked about the things that we sometimes thought were impossible. Oh, doing this move on your like fingers or putting all your body weight on your pinky finger or something like that. Or maybe I'm going to do this move and do a double in the air. Like, oh, that's impossible, huh? And you know what? And someone behold, does it. Well, someone is doing it. Like people are doing this stuff. I love that idea, like the big picture of it, of this learning journey. You're one person contributing to a much larger community of this evolution of this style, this community. Is that what it feels like for you that you're one part of a larger piece of this much larger community? I feel like I'm part of a community for sure. So when I travel, I go looking for dancers. So if I'm going to be in a city center. I'm like, oh, let me go see if I can find the dancers. Does somebody know somebody? Is there an event going on that I can go to? I often pack my dancing gear when I go traveling, if I think there's a chance, even a small That's chance really that cool. I can get down. So the, the community exists and it's awesome because even if I go to a place where I don't speak the same language as somebody else, we speak the same language, if you know what I'm saying, right? Which is really cool. So I feel like I'm part of that community. As far as contributing to it, I never really think about it that way. I'd love to figure out how to give more back to the community in a sense but because I've taken so much truthfully I've learned so many things that I that I apply to my regular everyday life that aren't that isn't dancing a lot of the tenets of what I've done in my breakdancing life have really influenced the way that I just live normally which is probably the reason why I can't stop dancing because I don't see a separation between like it's gonna sound dramatic but I don't know if I see separation between not dancing and like living the same tenets apply to me when I'm dancing as they do to my work life as they do to my personal life as they do everywhere else so I'm always dancing well, it sounds like a really foundational part of who you are. You've talked a lot about this forward growth mindset around the, your approach to this skill. I'm wondering if there are other ways you've applied this in your life or other ways you've noticed where this learning journey has occurred. I can think of a time in my personal career, like I worked at Apple for a little bit, and part of my career at Apple was I was teaching people how to use their computers. And at one point I was asked to switch up gears and work with the technical team and manage the technical team. And I'm, at the time, I had never fixed anything before. I had never repaired anything, but they were just like, we want you to apply your style of leadership here, over here, to this technical team. And I was like, okay, all right, I'm going to just try until I'm good and <laughs> until, I'm, until I'm better at it than I am now. Which was funny because the technical team, they didn't quite respect me right away. I think they respected my effort. So I had to earn that from them. I had to earn their respect. But they knew right away. Yeah, there was no easy props there. Like they were worse than dancers. They really didn't like me being there at first. What's great is when you are open about not knowing anything, then nobody can insult you. No one can put you down. Oh, Brandon, you don't know this? Of course I don't know this. I just started this job yesterday. I've never opened up a thing before. Let me see what's inside there. I don't know. And so you can just find some comfort in playing dumb always when you lead that way. When you don't have to be the mental authoritar in the room, it's great. Until you are. Goodness, I love that so much. Brandon, thank you so much for sharing. This has been so educational. And I think there's so many solid learning principles in what you talked about and your approach to dance. I hope your injury feels better soon and you can get back to it because obviously it's a, a very important part of your life. But thank you so much for being here with us today. You're welcome. I mean, I love talking dancing. Are we, are we out of time? You sure you don't want to ask me any questions? <laughs> <laughs> 
we'll do a part two. And you can teach us some moves. It'll be rocky too. And then we'll have the learning journey yes. ourselves. Okay, done and done. Do it. Thank you so much. This was such a, a pleasure to chat with you. Well, that was lovely. I learned so much from that conversation with Brandon. He has such an interesting way of looking at the learning journey. And Carrie, I'm wondering what your takeaways were from that conversation. I think the one that really resonated for me is that idea of you jump into, you know, whether it be breaking or almost anything else, you jump in where it's like, I'm going to learn as much as I can, and I'm going to be able to do as much as I can. I'm going to collect all these different tools, and I'm going to fill up my tool belt with them, and then I'll use them all the time. And then mastery is achieved when you look at that tool belt you filled up, and it's like, actually... I only need two of these. Mastery is achieved not when you can use every tool in your tool belt, but when you know which ones to use to maximum effect. That was, I think, my major takeaway. What about you? That's a great takeaway. And something I don't often think about within learning, (laughs) the idea that like, oh yeah, I'm just going to give it 110% every time and I'm just going to blow everyone out of the water. It's like, actually... The simplest approach is often the best and understanding that is mastery. My takeaway was about Brandon's approach to comparison. So he talked a lot about how, especially in that first experience of going to that competition in Toronto and seeing all these other break dancers, break dancing circles around his windmills, for example, (laughs) (laughs) a sentence I never thought I'd say. Perhaps literally, I don't know. Yeah. He mentioned how obviously he was intimidated, but it motivated him and compelled him to do even better. And I can imagine from my own experience, especially doing and learning more physical hobbies like rock climbing or CrossFit, you know, I see other people and I get really intimidated and you get in your head. What I mentioned in the podcast, comparison is the thief of joy. You're robbed of the ability to learn more and move forward because you see someone else doing it better than you. And for Brandon, he had the total opposite perspective, which was, I'm seeing someone else do this. And that complete perspective shift, instead of feeling envy for someone else and their skill, you feel motivated, you feel encouraged, you feel supported just by looking at what other folks can do. Yeah, same, super inspirational. And he mentioned it in the context of youth, but even today, mm-hmm. I think, you know, it's, it's even more <laughs> tempting to feel that way. Yeah, we are, I, we are more capable than we think we are sometimes. Absolutely. And I, I loved what you said in the interview as well, thinking about learning not being a linear journey where you're like, we want the montage. We want the like beginner, middle and end. Sometimes, like Brandon said, you just suck at something until you're good at it. You have to keep going. That should have been the title of the podcast. You suck at something till you're good at it. <laughs> Maybe that'll be series two. Well, that that was amazing. This has been a great episode. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for tuning in as one does to podcasts. This has been another episode of How'd You Learn To? I'm Carrie O'Brien. I'm Lauren Ryan. We'll see you next time. Ciao for now.